And let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that we can be together in this place. And uh, we thank you that those that can't be here can still uh, watch this online. And we do pray that, Lord, as your word is opened up this morning, that you would guide our time together. May we uh, learn from you. May we learn of you. And may, Father, your word be a blessing to our hearts. Uh, Give me wisdom, I pray, this morning as I minister your word, that I'd have clarity, Father God, of thought, and that, Lord, my speech would bring glory to your name. Guide our time now in your word, we pray. And just bless, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible, as we know, is by far the most important book in all of the world. And we know for a fact that it will never pass away. In fact, God's word tells us that it will endure forever. When all's said and done, it's God's word that is basic to any success that you and I might have with regard to the reaching of the lost for Jesus Christ, with regard to you and I growing as believers, it's the word of God that's the center of that success. Man's philosophy and man's wisdom may bring about change, but it's only God's word that enacts spiritual, lasting, eternal change in the hearts and lives of those who believe it. It's only God's word that will change us into the image of Christ. It's only God's word that will help you and I and encourage you and I to do the will of God. And Paul knew this, and here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he gives to you and I some characteristics of the word of God that reveal to us why God's word is so effective, so powerful in our lives. We saw last week that God's word is authoritative in verse 13. And we said that because it's authoritative, it has authority and it has dominion. And to build upon that, we want to look today at the fact that God's word is powerful. Verse 13 says, For this cause, also we thank God without ceasing, because when we receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You know, when God's word is preached, when God's word is taught, when God's word is read, it always has an impact. Because God's word is powerful. And if we are to teach the word of God, if we are to be effective witnesses for the Lord, then you and I must have a conviction about this authoritative word. We must believe the word of God is powerful. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, but I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation of the Jew first and also them which believe. He actually believed in the power of the word of God. That's why his ministry was effective because it was built and grounded on Christ and was preached through the word. The word of God was his tool, was his weapon, was the thing that he used to the glory of God. And that's what these believers in Thessalonica did. When they received the word of God, they received it as the authoritative word of God. And by accepting his authority and its dominion, they also acknowledged his power power in their lives to change them, to conform them to the image of Christ. We're told here that they didn't just hear the word of God, but they received it. And here, uh, that is, they accepted its power in their lives. Now it's interesting here in verse 13 that Paul uses two different Greek words for the English word received to describe the response of the Thessalonican believers to the word of God. 
The first word is to accept from another. It's there in the first part of the verse. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which he um, heard of us, they accepted the word of God. It means it's the hearing of the ear. It's an external response. It carries the idea of looking back. They had received the word from Paul. They had received the word of God. It had come to them. They had accepted it. There's an external response. But they did more because the verse goes on to say, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So the second word received here means to welcome. This is the hearing of the heart. It's an internal response. They had received the physical document from the Apostle Paul, and now they were receiving the knowledge of what was in that into their hearts. It means to accept with approval, to welcome the Word of God. In fact, it's an active statement here. It's, they listened to it, and they evaluated it, and they accepted the message that was delivered from it. They not only heard the Word, but they welcomed the Word of their hearts. They not only heard the Word and said about the Word, yes, it's authoritative. They took it into their hearts, and in so doing, they acknowledged the power of the Word of God in their lives. You and I need to acknowledge the power of God's Word. We need to understand that God's Word is powerful. It's not just a book that we've received. We don't just have the physical document in our hands, but this is the living Word of God, and this book has power. Yes, it's authoritative. Yes, it has authority. But it has power to change lives. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharp than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharp than a two-edged sword. It has an impact. When the Word of God is preached, when the Word of God is taught, when the Word of God is read, if you and I will accept it, will receive it into our hearts, it will have an impact. You know, I tell you, many people receive the Word of God, they hear it. They don't resist it, but they don't receive it or accept it in the sense of welcoming the Word of God into their lives and allowing the Word of God to change them from the inside out. They accept it as a book of value, but they don't attach to it any power. Yes, it's a valuable book. Yes, it's an important book in history, but they don't attach to it any power, any spiritual power, but the Word of God is powerful. And because they don't acknowledge the power of the Word of God, they do not accept the Word of God will do anything in their lives. They don't take heed to it. In fact, they're what James calls forgetful hearers. Look in James chapter 1, please. He, uh, James chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face the glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. 
But let's have a look into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. He be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. They become forgetful hearers. They acknowledge the word of God is important. They acknowledge the word of God is an important document, but they fail to receive the word of God and understand its power. They're forgetful hearers. But God's word is powerful. God gave you and I the word of God that it might enact power in our lives, that it might change you and I. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3, a passage we all know well. The second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the Bible makes you wise to salvation. And then verse 16, All Scripture is given by the Spirit of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's word was given to you and I, that you and I might be established in faith, that you and I might indeed see the, work of, uh, the word of God work in our lives, and as God's word works in our lives, as we yield to its power, it produces spiritual maturity in our lives. We become spiritually mature. If we, uh, if we allow the word of God to be effective in us, if we allow the word of God's power to unleash in our lives, it will change us. For God's glory. Now the Thessalonians certainly believed that the word of God was not just a valuable document. They didn't just receive the document from the apostle. But they actually believed the word of God was something that would change them. It was powerful. They received it. They accepted it. Welcomed it into their lives. And because they did, it had an effect upon them. And so thirdly, well secondly today, the third point in the message here is God's word is effective. Not only is God's word authoritative and God's word powerful, but God's word is effective. Verses 13 to 16 is where we're going to look. See, they received the word of God, and the word of God went to work in their lives. This is the end of verse 13. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It went to work in their lives as they received the word of God and they allowed it to change their lives as they acknowledged his power and they gave the word of God the opportunity to work in them. It did affect them. It effectually worked in them that believe. It's not enough to believe the word of God is authoritative. It's not enough to believe the Bible is powerful. You and I must allow the word of God into our hearts and into our lives so it may be effective. It may produce something. There is power in the word of God to change lives. For it is the very word, the very breath of God. What we have here in the word of God is the divine revelation, divinely inspired word of God given to you and I, the very breath of God. And God intends his word to change us, to be effective in our lives. We saw last week that God's word had effect upon those who receive it, for it has authority. And because it has authority, it should have dominion over our lives. And by dominion, we said last week, we meant that the Bible should have absolute mastery, absolute supremacy over our lives. 
That's what the Thessalonican believers did. And because they did, it effectually worketh in them that belief. They submitted to his dominion, and it affected them. The word worketh here, in verse 13, effectually worketh also in you that believe. The word worketh is an active word, it's dynamic. The idea of this word is it's continually working in their lives. As they receive the word of God, and they accept the the authority of the word of God, and they accept the power of the word of God, God's word now begins to work in their lives, and it continually works in their lives. It continually works in the lives of those that believe the word of God is the word of God. And that was the case with the Thessalonians. It turned them from God to idols, chapter 1 tells us. It committed them to service for the Lord. It gave them hope for the return of Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so they believed the word of God, and the word of God had an effect upon them. What Paul does now in verses 14 to 16 is he lists the evidence of the effectiveness of the work of the word of God in the lives of these Thessalonican believers. Now it is true that back in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, let's go there, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, the apostle had already described the work in the lives of the believers at salvation. For notice what it says in verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us, from wrath to come. This is the effect that God's word had upon them when they got saved. And indeed, that is the work of the word of God. We already mentioned this. It's uh, that it may uh, take you and I as believers and perfect us, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, as Second Timothy tells us. And when we allow God's work to work in our lives, it does produce maturity. It produces godly saints. It does have the impact that it had upon the Thessalonican believers that they turned to God from idols and they chose to serve the Lord Christ and they also looked for his coming. But now in verse 14 of chapter 2, the Paul reveals to us, or reveals the Thessalonians, that because of their faith, their belief in the word of God, because the word of God was effectually working in them, they had been persecuted for their faith. Now notice what it says, verse 14. It says, for ye. Here's the connection. He's just talked about the impact of the word of God on their life, that when they receive the word of God, they receive not as the word of men, but as it is of a truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in all those that believe, and here is the evidence of that effect. For ye, brethren. And he's now about to explain why it is they're going through what they're going through, the suffering they're going through, is because of their confidence and faith in the word of God. The word for he introduces to us the proof of the effective working of God's word mentioned in verse 13. You see, when the Thessalonians responded to the gospel, they became targets of persecution. You see, when they heard the word of God and they got saved, it was a pretty exciting time. But then as they started to be changed by that word of God, as the word of God effectively worked in them, and they started to live out the Christian faith, as they started to believe 
the word of God and received the word of God and therefore the word of God changed them and they became testimonies of Christ and they were changing their lives and they were living in accordance with the word of God and people could see Christ in the hope of glory. What that did was it had the opposite effect in people's lives that I'm sure they wanted. They were turning against them. They started to persecute them. And the word followers here in verse 14, for ye became, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also suffered like things of your country and countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. The word followers is imitators. He's saying you shouldn't be surprised at what's happening to you because you're becoming imitators of those who have gone before you. As everyone before you has believed the word of God and it's effectively worked in their lives, the same consequence has been that they have suffered. So this is the same for you. The Thessalonican Christians, because of God's word, had an effect upon them, had become imitators of those who had suffered before them. And the Thessalonians willingly suffered the same things as those who went before them because they were convinced that Paul brought to them not the word of men, but the word of God. Because of their confidence, because of their faith in the authoritative, powerful word of God, which was having an effect upon them, they willingly went through the persecution, the suffering that they endured because of their faith in the word of God. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, Paul tells of the persecution the Jews in Judea had suffered to reassure the Thessalonians that they were not alone. There is a danger as they start to live for the Lord, as the word of God starts to have an impact upon them, as they start to stand up for Christ, that they start to see the suffering it would be easy for them to think they were all alone, that this is not a normal consequence of doing right. And maybe ultimately a temptation to change what they're doing. And so the word of God here gives to them some assurances that what is happening in them is normal. That the effect of the word of God in their lives is producing a normal response to the word of God. They're not alone. You see, God had worked in them. God had changed them. And now they were suffering for their faith. But there's nothing remarkable about that. There was nothing unexpected about that. There was nothing out of the ordinary about that. It's the kind of thing that they should have expected, the kind of thing that they should have realized, even though they didn't. So the apostles try to explain to them why they're doing this. Paul is referring here to the fact that many Jews who turned to Christ and were serving him as a result of that faith, as a result of the fact they followed Christ, their fellow Jews had persecuted them. And now these Thessalonians were suffering the same of their countrymen. Notice what he says in verse 14. He said, For ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So the Jews, the, the 
Judean Christians had suffered at the hand of their countrymen, the Jews, persecution for their faith, for their lifestyle, because they were living in accordance with God. And now the Thessalonians were suffering of their own countrymen. In like manner, the people of Thessalonica were now causing them to suffer, persecuting them. They were being persecuted by religious people. In fact, even fellow believers, is implied here, were persecuting the Thessalonians because God's word had been effective in their life, because they were living the lives they were living, because they were so uh, having such an impact upon society. Souls were getting saved because they had such a passion for the lost. There were those in the religious community, the Jews, etc., and even those in Christian circles who were persecuting and causing these Christians to suffer. So Paul seeks to comfort them in verses 14 to 16. And first in verses 14 and 15, Paul comforts these suffering Christians with the assurance that they were not the first to suffer this way. The end of verse 14 says, For ye have also suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. He reassures them that they're not alone. He reassures them that these are not the first ones to suffer. This is not the first time people have suffered for the faith. Others have gone through the same thing as they're now going through, and that's a reassurance. In verse 14, he comforts them, reminding them that the Christians of Judea had faced the persecution and opposition before them. Back there in the early church, back there in Jerusalem, when souls were getting saved, they were persecuted not so much by the Romans, which you would have thought was the sect that would persecute them, they were being persecuted by Jews. In 1 Thessalonians 2.15, he comforted them by reminding them that it was that his own countrymen, the Jews, had killed the Lord Jesus. And therefore even Christ suffered. That's what he says in verse 15. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. It shouldn't surprise you that you're suffering at the hands of your own countrymen for your faith in Jesus Christ, because of your confidence in the word of God, because of your testimony of Christ. It shouldn't surprise you, because even the Lord Jesus Christ suffered at the hands of his own brethren, the Jews. It shouldn't surprise you, because they even persecuted the prophets. Those who took the word of God, preached the word of God, taught the word of God, were persecuted by their own countrymen, the Jews. Additionally, he comforts them, reminding them that Paul and his associates have been persecuted there in verse 15, and have persecuted us. He says, just look at our life, look at our ministry, look at what we've been through, our associates, as we've gone around preaching the gospel. The suffering has followed us wherever we've went. And the point is that, that as believers, we need to remember that, that when we suffer, when you and I suffer ridicule and we suffer opposition to our testimony and opposition to the word of God, that we're not alone. 
It shouldn't surprise us when the world balks at the truth of God's word, when the world doesn't particularly embrace you and I who live for the Lord, when you and I stand up for Jesus, it shouldn't surprise us that you and I face opposition. It shouldn't surprise us that we suffer ridicule. It shouldn't surprise us that at times it's hard to be a believer in this generation. It shouldn't surprise us because that is the normal response. When we go through hard times, when we go through difficult times, it shouldn't surprise us. You see, when we allow God's work to work in us, when we believe God's word is authoritative and powerful, and therefore we allow it to have an effect upon us as it changes us from the image to image to the glory of Christ, as we start to grow and we're sanctified and we start to live like Christ, and people see Christ in us, the hope of glory, it shouldn't surprise you and I that we suffer and we must understand that we're not alone. In fact, we have a promise in God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, another verse we all know well. 1 Corinthians 10 13, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You and I are assured that no temptation has, be, uh, has befallen us that is not common to man, that others have not also experienced. But what's more, God will not suffer you and I to be tempted by which we're able, and he will give us the ability to find the way of escape. We're not alone when we go through trials. We're not alone when we go through suffering. We're not alone when we find ourselves in a situation where the world is... Uh, ridiculing us, mocking us, opposing us for our faith and stand in Jesus Christ. We're not alone. We should understand it's not unusual. Apart from the comfort that Paul gave, he knew that it was possible they might begin to wonder if the persecutors were actually, in fact, in the right before God. And that the persecution was because they were in the wrong. Before God. So he reassures them in verse 15. At the end, he says this For the wrath is come upon them, uh, sorry, verse 15, and, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. He says, You need to understand that those who are opposing you are not pleasing God. He was concerned that they would start to question their own faith, question their own. Uh, stand, question their own uh, righteousness, if you like, question their own confidence in the word of God. And he says, you need to understand that the persecutors, they're the ones that are not pleasing God. And by implication, they were pleasing God. Because they accepted the word of God as authoritative, because they accepted the word of God as powerful, and because they'd received the word of God in their hearts, it was having an impact upon them, it was being effective, they need to understand that the opposition they faced was not because they were in the wrong, but because they were pleasing God. And you can't please God and man, you can only please one or the other. They need to understand what offended the religious persecutors too, was not the Thessalonians believed the word of God. It was not that they had confidence in the word of God. It's not that 
It's not their confidence in the word of God that's upsetting the opposition. Notice what he says in verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. To fill up their sins always. The problem was not that they were believing in the word of God. The, the persecution, the opposition was not coming because of their confidence in God's word. But Gentiles were being saved. And in this case, they're first becoming Jews. That's what offended the religious leaders. People were upset because the testimony of the Thessalonians was so powerful that souls were getting saved. Now, I'd like that kind of opposition, wouldn't you? To be in trouble for souls getting saved. That people are pointing the fingers and saying, how dare they? People are getting saved at that church. I mean, that would be a nice problem to face, wouldn't it? Thinking, you know, we'd have protests at the front demanding that we shut the doors because people are getting saved. It'd be a nice problem. That was the problem with Thessalonians. They're, they're standing up for the word of God because they received the word of God. The word of God was having an effect upon them. It was molding them in the image of Christ. And in so doing, souls were getting saved. Gentiles were turning to Christ. And the religious leaders didn't like it. But you see, when we and I have confidence in the word of God and we allow the word of God to work in our lives, it will do a in our hearts, what it did for them, it will give us a passion for the lost. You and I will desire to see souls saved. And you and I will stand up for Jesus. We'll have a testimony for him. People will see Christ as the hope of glory. And that may well spark in them an opposition to you and I. You know, they responded correctly to the word of God. They had a passion for the lost. The enemies of God's word, of God and his word, were at fault. And that's true today. Those who oppose this book, who oppose its truth, who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're the ones in the wrong. We need to stand up for righteousness. As believers, we need to respond correctly to the word of God. We need to allow the word of God to change us. To mold us into the image of Christ daily, that we might be effective testimonies for Him. That we may stand up for Jesus, that we might stand in the face of suffering because we stand upon the Word of God. But in the end, it will be worth it all. In the last phrase of verse 16, the Apostle says this For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Paul comforts the Thessalonians by assuring them that God would indeed take care of the persecutors. Know this, that the wrath of God will come upon them to the uttermost. In the end of the day, God's blessing will rest upon you because the word of God is effectively working in your life and you're standing up for the Lord, and your testimonies have an impact, souls getting saved, the blessing of God will rest upon you, and those who persecute you, those who oppose you, those who stand against the very truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they in the end will get their reward. God will take care of them. You know, we don't need to worry about those who would oppose us. We don't need to worry about those who would persecute us. 
We don't need to worry about those who would ridicule and stand against us because in the end of the day, the Lord will take care of them. So he says in Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. All the Lord asks of you and I is you and I would take the word of God. We would believe the word of God is authoritative. We would accept that the word of God is powerful. We'd receive the word of God in our lives and allow the word of God to change us, to effectually work in us that we might be an impact in society for the glory of God. And if we will, if we'll let God's word have its way in our lives, if we'll let God's word change us, mold us, make us what God wants us to be, if you and I will not be the James people, the forgetful hearers, but you and I will be the purposeful readers, allowing God's word to work, God will bless. If you and I are to preach, teach, God's word, live godly lives and witness effectively, we must believe that God's word is authoritative. We must believe that God's word is powerful. And we must believe that God's word is effective. And you and I must allow God's word to guide our lives, to direct us in all that we do. Not just receive it, not just listen to it, not just approve it, but act upon it, allowing it to really direct our lives, to direct the course of our lives, to be the guide, to be the lamp to our feet, the light to our path or way. Allow God's word to illuminate the way we ought to walk and then walk in it for the glory of God. Allow it to direct us in the direction we should go. May 21st, 1941, the unsinkable Nazi battleship, the Bismarck, was sighted by the Allies in the North Atlantic Sea. Immediately, planes and ships from the Royal British Navy sped to the scene. As the Bismarck headed toward German-controlled French coast, to the astonishment of all, the massive battleship suddenly swung around and re-entered the area where the British fleet were massed in great strength. At the same time, she began to steer an erratic zigzag course and it became abundantly clear to the British fleets that a torpedo had damaged the rudder of the Bismarck after all. And consequently, the unsinkable Bismarck was sunk. As Christians, our rudder is the Bible. Without which we become unguided in our Christian walk. And we become ineffective in our Christian testimony. You and I must receive the authoritative, powerful word of God. Allow it to have an effect in our lives. So it might steer us through life. The glory of God. Let's never forget the importance of this book. Let's not just receive the document, but let's receive in our hearts, accept it in our lives, the very truth of this book that God has revealed to us.
Gracious Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father God, for this book, for its truth, for its teaching. We pray, Father God, that you would uh, just help us to appreciate it, to allow it, Father God, to daily have its work in our lives, that we might be effective for you, to your glory, that it might guide us in our walk, Father, we might be an effective testimony for Christ, that souls might be saved, lives might be changed, and that you might be glorified. Commend your word to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.